1: Welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. We are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. We're so grateful to have you with us today, as well as those out worshiping with us in Prescott Valley. So grateful for you uh, this morning. So glad to have you. Uh, before we jump into our message, do we have a quick announcement related to our Easter services. So we are just a couple of weeks out from Easter. Eastern. I want to take us back to something that uh, Pastor Josh reminded us last week. And that is that we live at a time where people who don't go to church, who aren't followers of Jesus, are open to the conversation. Like they are willing to have the conversation. And many, most of them actually say, I have Christians in my life, friends in my circle, who never want to have the conversation with me. And so we want to help that. Like there's no better time than Easter to help somebody get connected to the gospel of Jesus. So, we're doing a little something a little different with our invites this year. Instead of just doing a bunch of uh, little uh, business cards with times on them, we did we did these. So, they're big cards. They've got the Easter times on the top, but we left this big blank open space here at the bottom for you to write a personal invitation. Like we want this to be somebody that you're connected with. You can write the invitation, hand it to them, circle on there. This is the time that we're planning on going. If it works for you, we'd love for you to join us. If it doesn't, tell us which one and we'll come join you. But you get to write the invitation. And so we're not asking you to take 10 of these and go do that. Take one. Take one a week. Do three of them over the next three weeks. But they'll be available at the end of our service as you're heading out. Our ushers will have them. Uh, but we want you to be the one who are connecting with the people in your life that could use a conversation about Jesus. So invite them to Easter. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on. Turn them to Romans chapter 11. For those of you who are newcomers with us, we're working our way through the, the book of the Bible called Romans. It is the the quintessential picture of the gospel. It's the most thorough written account of the gospel that we have in all of the Bible. And the reason was because Paul would often go to cities like Philippi or Thessalonica or Corinth, and he'd spend months, sometimes years preaching the gospel. But he has not been to Rome yet. And so instead of being able to preach it to him face to face, he has to write it all out so that they have a thorough understanding of the gospel. So he wrote it for the Romans, and we're so grateful that God decided to Keep it for us so that we have Paul's teaching of the gospel in this book we call Romans. And so we're working our way through it line by line, verse by verse. We're six months in, seven months in. We've been in it a while. So we're in chapter 11 today. And we made a commitment at the beginning of the series that we're going to read the whole thing out loud from this platform throughout this series. So if you're able, I'd invite you to go ahead and stand where you are, grab your Bibles or your booklet. And we're going to read our text for today, and then we'll work our way through it after that. So we're in Romans chapter 11, and we'll look at the first 10 verses this morning. And this is the word of the Lord. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an, an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself. 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did. But the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for preserving your word for us and giving us the opportunity today to, to hear it, to engage with it, to be changed by it. Holy Spirit, use whatever words you need to today to, to speak to your people and give us ears to hear. In Jesus we pray, amen. Please be seated. Thank you. So again, if you're diving into us, you're right in the middle of this series. So I want to try to give you a quick moment of context to try to help us understand all what Paul's talking about in this section because context matters. All of these sermons build off of one another. So we're in this section primarily between nine chapters nine and 11 where Paul is addressing a really big issue and the issue is that the Israelites, the Jewish people, the ethnic Jewish nation, by and large, have rejected Jesus as their Messiah and in such are on the outside looking in as it relates to being part of the kingdom of God. And this is a huge issue. It's a huge issue because in chapter 8, we hear this amazing promise where Paul says, What shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord? Nothing at all of creation will separate us. And yet you have these Christians in Rome who are looking around and saying, wait a second, didn't God make promises like that to the Jewish people? Like, weren't they his chosen, his covenant people? Then why aren't they here? Why aren't they in? Why aren't they a part of the family of God with the rest of us? And if they're out, if God's chosen people are out, if he didn't keep his promises to them, how do I know if he can keep his promises to me? So that's the issue that Paul is addressing. And he started back in chapter nine. Let me remind you a little bit. He first said, you need to understand that not all Israel are Israel. He said, look, just because somebody is a Jew, ethnically, part of Israel ethnically, doesn't make them part of the spiritual Israel. It's never been about just a person's race. Being a Jew isn't about what happens primarily on the outside, but it's about what's on the inside. Being a child of Abraham isn't about genealogy. It's about allegiance. It isn't about a family line. It's about faith. It's having Abraham's faith. So he made it clear in chapter 9, not all Israel is Israel. There's a difference between being ethnically Israel and spiritually Israel. And God has never, ever gone back on any of his promise to those who are walking with the faith of Abraham. So We talked about then this tension. This tension between God's sovereignty in salvation and man's responsibility in salvation. God's sovereignty is all in chapter 9. And then man's responsibility is all in chapter 10. And we hold these two things in tension. And here's what we learned. None whom God has chosen has ever been out. And all who call on the name of the Lord are in. Like both of those are true. None whom God has chosen are out. And all who call on the name of the Lord are in. These things are attention for us. They are not attention to God. And so, again, we we come to this place where we say, okay, but still, what about the Jewish people? If all who are chosen are in and all who call on the name of the Lord are in, then that means since they're not in, either God didn't choose them or they didn't call on him. So which one is it? That's what Paul is about to address in our text. Paul asks this question that he knows people are asking. He says, I asked then, did God reject his people? Were they really not chosen? Did he reject them? So as often is the case, it's a rhetorical question that he anticipates people like us having, and then he answers it. He says, there's still this whole nation. We we look at the Jewish nation today, Jewish people today. We say there's still this whole nation of people and they're not in. Does that mean that God has rejected them? Because the church at this point in history today is overwhelmingly made up of Gentiles, not Jews. Does that mean that God rejected Jewish people? So Paul asks the question, then he answers it. And the answer is, by no means. Did he reject his people? By no means. Now, Paul's going to give us in our text today, he's going to give us two pieces of evidence that show us that God has not rejected the Jewish people. One of them is a very personal piece of evidence, and one is a historical piece of evidence. So we're going to look at both of them real quick. The first piece of evidence that God did not reject his people is very personal for Paul. And here's how he answers the question. Did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. He says, did God reject the Jewish people? Paul says, no. You know how I know? Because I are one. He's like, no, he didn't reject the Jewish people. I am Jewish. I am a descendant of Abraham. My lineage goes back to Abraham himself. And it goes through the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, by the way, for those of you who don't know, he's like the most Jewish of the Jews because his forefather, the the tribe of Benjamin, he was the only one actually born in the promised land. If you go to Israel today and you go visit Jerusalem, you're going to go visit Jerusalem In the land that was given to the Benjamites. Like they are the Jewish of the Jews. Like Paul says, I I am a Jew through and through. And not only is Paul a Jew, all of the apostles were Jews. Everyone who was baptized on the day of Pentecost were Jews. All 3,000 of them were Jews. All of the authors of the New Testament were Jews. Save one, our Savior Jesus Christ. Was a Jew. God didn't reject the Jews. All of the first followers of Jesus were Jews. If God rejected the Jews, then Peter and James and John and Priscilla and Aquila and Philip and Andrew and Mary and the other Mary and the other Mary and Apollos and Jude and Barnabas and Martha and Lazarus, they would all be out if God rejected the Jews, but they're not out. Because God did not reject the Jewish people. Paul says, I know he didn't reject the Jewish people because he didn't reject me. And I don't think Paul would mind me saying today, if there was ever a Jew worth rejecting, Paul would have been the one. Because Paul rejected Jesus as Messiah. Like he set his life on, on tearing people away from the work of Christ. Like any Jew that, that converted to start following Jesus, Paul made it his mission to go hunt them down, drag them away, try them and put them in prison. That was his job. That's what he, he spent his life doing until Jesus came and changed his life. Paul, applauded watching people stone the followers of jesus to death paul was the worst of the worst and that's that isn't my opinion that's paul's opinion so again god didn't reject him he didn't reject the jewish people in fact paul Paul was called into ministry by Jesus. Jesus launched him into the world to invite other rebels and scoundrels to join him in following Jesus too. So the first reason that Paul notes that God did not reject his people is really personal for Paul. Because he didn't reject me. Now, the second reason is historical. Here's how we know that God didn't reject his people. Here's a second reason. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me. Back up and set the context. This is a historical example of God not rejecting his people. So he goes back to the time of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet, and Elijah was a prophet in a time of Israel where there was a king named Ahab who had an evil wife named Jezebel. There's a lot of people who have Bible names. How many of y'all have a Bible name in here? Anybody? Guarantee you know a lot of people with Bible names, and none of them are Jezebel. She's evil, all right? So Ahab and and Jezebel are leading the nation of Israel, and they have led the nation into apostasy, where they've rejected Yahweh as God and have begun to worship Baal as God. And they've torn down the altars of God and erected Baal-worshiping idols all over the nation. Elijah is the only one who stands up and begins to speak against Ahab and Jezebel. And one day, Elijah says, well, let's just have a duel. We'll have a showdown to see which God is the real God. So they all go to Mount Carmel. There's Elijah, who's the one prophet left of, of Yahweh. And then there are 450 prophets of Baal. And they, Elijah says, here's what we'll do. We'll both build an altar. We'll put the wood on it and we'll put the sacrifices on it, but we will not light the sacrifices to our God. We will pray and whichever God is real, we will call on them to light the sacrifices. And everybody said, oh, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So it starts with the 450 prophets of Baal. They build their altars, they put the wood, they put the sacrifice on it, and they start to pray. And the text says from early in the morning to in the evening, they just prayed and prayed and prayed and shouted and sang and prayed, and walked around, but nobody's listening. Nothing happens. So they start cutting themselves. We'll, we'll, we'll get our God's attention by cutting ourselves. We'll show them how seriously we are, how serious we are. So they're bleeding out there at the altar trying to get their God's attention, but nothing's happening. All the, all the while, Elijah's just mocking them. Like, he's mocking them. He's like, well, maybe you're a God sleeping. You should pray louder and wake him up. Or maybe he's indisposed. In other words, maybe he's on the pot and can't get out right now to come help you. He's in the bathroom, right? So Elijah's just mocking them hour after hour, and nothing ever happens. Then evening comes, and it's Elijah's. He builds his altar and sets the stones, puts the sacrifice up. The text says he then takes and builds a trench all the way around the altar, digs a trench. And then he tells the people, hey, go get water, lots and lots of water, and bring it up and dump it on the altar. And they drenched it, soaked it through, not once, not twice, three times. Lays the sacrifice up and he walks out and he prays one prayer and says, God, show them your power. Boom, fire comes down from the sky and it lights up, not just the sacrifice. It burns the altar. It even burns the stone. And the text says that actually the fire licked up all of the water that had become a moat around the altar. And all of the people are like, oh, he wins. Elijah's like, that's right. Now put these prophets of Baal to death for their apostles. And all 450 were put to death that day. Now, this was an amazing moment of God's power through Elijah. Like, if you'd have seen it, like, this was, this would have been so amazing. Like, this is Elijah's greatest victory. He should be on cloud nine, right? Problem is, Jezebel gets gets news of what has happened. And Jezebel sends word back to Elijah and says, hey, hey, I just need you to know, what you did to my prophets, I'm going to do to you by this time tomorrow. And Elijah, scared to death. He's so scared. He takes off running from one end of the nation of Israel all the way down to the other. And he finds a cave and he's hiding out in a cave. And God comes to him and says, what are you doing here? God meets him. He says, what are you doing? To which Elijah says, Lord, they've killed your prophets and turned." torn down your altars and I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. Elijah looks at the nation during his day and he sees exactly what Paul sees from the same nation during his day. And that is a, a nation who have rejected their God. A nation that has given in to widespread apostasy. What is apostasy? It is the rejection of God. This, these are believers who are once followers that are no longer followers. This is different from being a non-believer. Non-believer could be someone who's never heard and never followed. They don't know any better. These people, they know better. They have followed. They have seen. They have experienced. And they've chosen to walk away. That was the state of the Jewish nation in Elijah's day. And it was the same situation with the Jews in Paul's day. And so when this question comes up, did God reject his people? Paul takes them back to that moment, a historic account, back to that moment in Elijah's day. And he says, do you remember what, do you remember what God said to Elijah in this moment? Elijah says, I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And and what was God's answer to him? God said, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. Elijah cries out, there's nobody, it's only me. And God says, that's not true. No, it may feel true, but it's not true, Elijah. I have reserved for myself. I haven't rejected my people. I have reserved my people. 7,000 of them who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, you're not alone. There are 7,000 more just like you. And I reserve them. Again, here's our tension. That's very much the sovereignty of God. God says, I reserve them. I reserve them for myself. I did that. Well, how do we know if we're reserved? Here's how we know. Because they didn't bow a knee to bail. That's the man's responsibility piece. How do you know if you're part of the 7,000? You refuse to bow a knee to bail. That's that's man's responsibility. Like, no one had to wonder whether or not they were part of the 7,000. If they were the reserved part. Their actions revealed that they were chosen. Because they refused to bow the knee to Baal. So so Paul points back to this moment. And he uses it as an example. God didn't reject his people. Even though the vast majority of the nation had turned their back on God and worshipped Baal. God didn't reject the nation. He saved 7,000 for himself. Then Paul adds, so too... At the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. In other words, just as it was in Elijah's day, where God, there was a remnant, 7,000. Paul says it's still true today. There's still a remnant. There's still a remnant of ethnic Jews who have not rejected Jesus, who still follow him as Lord. There is a faithful remnant of ethnic Jewish people who have always followed the Lord, who've always seen Jesus as their Messiah. Since the days of Jesus, there have always been this small but faithful remnant of ethnic Jews who love and follow Jesus alongside of us. And we have a handful of them in our midst every single week. They are the remnant that Paul's talking about here. And those Jews among us, the ethnic Jews among us who are worshiping and following Jesus as Lord, they are proof that God has not rejected his people. Because if he had, he would have rejected them. But he hasn't. So Paul's evidence, both personal and historical, God hasn't rejected his people. How did this remnant? Get in. How did they become the remnant? They became just like we do. They're part of the kingdom just in the same way that we are. Because they were chosen by grace. By grace. And if it is by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. None of us have earned our way into God's good graces. We can't. The only way anyone gets saved, the only way anybody has a part of being in God's family is by God's grace through faith. If anyone is able to work their way in, then grace is no longer grace. Grace, by its very definition, is receiving something that you did not earn. Salvation is a gift. If it's something you earned, then it becomes an obligation. It's something God owes you instead of something God offers you. The remnant of Jewish people who are saved are saved just as we are. By grace, through faith in Jesus. It Still begs the question. Why so few? I see a couple of Jews in this room right now. Why aren't there hundreds? Why so few? Why I mean it's great that there's a remnant. It's great that there's some. Why is there not more? And that's a great question that Paul anticipates. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. He's like, What happened? Why aren't the majority of the Jewish people in? They, they have sought so earnestly, earnestly, they have sought to obtain righteousness with God. You just need to know that. Most Jewish people have sought earnestly, are still seeking earnestly a righteousness with God. They want that. And oftentimes they want it more than we want it. But yet they have not obtained it. Over the last couple of years, I've gotten the opportunity to go to Israel a couple of times. The first time I went, we flew out of New York. And I don't know if you know this or not, there's a lot of Jewish people in New York. Not just a stereotype, Brooklyn's full of Jewish people. okay? And so when you take a flight out of New York to Israel, there's going to be a lot of Jewish people on it. Specifically, uh, uh Orthodox Jews or Hasidic Jews. And they, you can pick them out from a mile away. We took, uh, um, El Al is the, the Israeli airline. And so they serve all of the, the right kinds of food and procedures for Orthodox Jews to be able to get from New York to Jerusalem. And so we're on this flight and there were probably 50 Orthodox Jews on this flight. And they earnestly, seek God. They want to know him. They want a relationship with him. They want a righteousness with God. They long for it. They, they, they follow all the rules. They are very strict with their haircuts, with their clothing. The men will do everything that they can to make sure that they're not sitting next to a woman who's not their wife, specifically a Gentile woman Like literally as I'm sitting in my seat, my wife is here and the seat assigned next to her was an Orthodox Jewish man. And he did everything that he could to find somebody on the plane who would change seats with him. So he did not have to sit by my Gentile wife. Because he did not want to be deemed unclean. They want to be righteous. They long to be righteous. Again, oftentimes way more than we do. At three in the morning, it's an overnight flight. And about three in the morning, when everybody's trying to get some sleep, they all get up. All of them. Dozens. All over the plane. And they all get up at the same time and they're digging through the overhead compartments and pulling out bags. Men, women, children. And they, the men grab their, their prayer shawls. They got their big black hats that they're putting on and, and, they grab their Torahs and they all stand up and and many of them go to wherever they can find a blank space on a wall on the plane and they stand there and they're reading their prayers and they're bobbing up and down like like 50 all over the plane and they're just praying and I'm like, goodness sakes, God doesn't sleep. He'll be there when you get up. But it was the time of prayer and they're not going to miss it. Because they want to be righteous. So wherever they are, whatever they're doing, they'll drop drop everything. So that they can do the right thing to, to be right before God. They want it. And they often want it more than we do. And yet Paul says of those people, those people. They've missed. What they're longing for so badly, a righteousness with God, they have not obtained it. And why have they missed it? Why have they not obtained what they're so earnestly seeking? Well, Paul told us back in chapter 9. Let me back up. go to the wailing wall and you stand there. If you've not been there, this is part of the temple mount. The temple would have been up over top of this wall where you see the tops of these trees. And I remember going to the wailing wall and you'll see Jewish people standing out there and they're praying. They're praying and they're weeping. They're praying and they'll take their prayers and they'll write them on pieces of paper and they'll roll them up and they'll stick them in the cracks of the wall and they're standing there weeping and praying and weeping and praying. Off to the left of this wall, there's this tunnel that you can go in. It's it's almost like a library that's got lots of studying material in there and you'll see young men in here and they so want to be righteous before God. You'll see them with their prayer shawls and you see on their head, you see these little boxes that are where they attach the word of God to their forehead. And you'll see it wrapped around their arms where they'll take the word of God and they'll put it in this little box and they they put the box right here on, on the inside of their arm because that's the closest place to their heart that they can get. And so they'll wrap it because they want to be right before God. And they'll stand out there and they'll pray and they'll weep and they'll pray and they'll weep. And again, God said, or Paul says, but yet, yeah, they're longing for a righteousness. They just haven't obtained it. Why? What well, shall we say then? That, that the Gentiles, us, who did not pursue righteousness, you you didn't seek God in that same way. You haven't leveraged your life to that degree, most of us, but yet somehow we do stand before God righteous. We have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not obtained their goal. They didn't get the righteousness they wanted. Why not? Because they pursued it, not by faith, but if as if it were by works the nation of israel as a whole have missed out because they are working to earn what can only be received by grace through faith and so they weep at a retaining wall like this is not even the the temple this is just a retaining wall that holds up the temple mount there's no temple anymore. There's no place to go sacrifice. There is nothing to sacrifice because they've ended up rejecting the only sacrifice that actually brings the righteousness. That is Jesus. They rejected him. And because of that, the vast majority of people have missed out on, on experiencing what it means to be right before God. They rejected him. He has not rejected But there were some who got it. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. The elect got it. The remnant got it. But the the other people in the nation, they got what they wanted. They got what they wanted, which was to pursue a righteousness on on their own instead of receiving a righteousness from Christ. It was true in Paul's day, and it's true in in our day. They got what they wanted. As we've said throughout this series, one of the worst things that we could ever experience is God letting us have what we want. Because what we want will never lead us to righteousness in him. So Paul uses the very scriptures that those young men were reading in that library off the retaining wall. These very words are found in those books. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear, to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent for." God gave them what they wanted, the right to pursue a righteousness of their own. God gave them what they wanted, and it has led to a whole race of people whose hearts have been hardened, whose eyes have been closed, and whose ears have been blocked to the glory of the gospel of Jesus. They can't see it. They can't hear it. They can't feel it. Because their hearts are callous. And so they weep. Because what they long for, they can't obtain. As Paul stated in chapter 10, though, it is so near them. It is so near them. It is right there. It's in their mouth. It's in their heart. They don't have to go hunting for it. They just have to receive it. But they can't. Because their hearts are hard. They can't. At least not yet. We'll talk about that in the coming week. So, What's the takeaway for us today? Let me give you three real quick. First takeaway, if you recognize Jesus as Lord, if he is your Messiah, if you love and follow and serve him, then thank God that he has given you his grace. It is by the grace of God that you recognize Jesus as Lord. It is nothing you have done. You've not set yourself up. You've not done anything to make it happen. God showed grace to you. He's shown you his grace. And so there should be never a moment where we're looking down on Jewish people as if somehow we are better than them. No, no, no. We've just received the grace of God and we should always be grateful. Never be prideful. Number two. If you feel God moving in your life, don't harden your heart, but act in faith. Like some of you, you come and you feel the presence of God and you, you sense God moving and then you walk out of here and you do nothing and you come back another week and you sense God doing something and then you walk out and you never do nothing. And I just need to warn you, every time you do that, it hardens our heart to the glory of the gospel when we hear it without responding. It's what happened to the Jewish people is they did not act in faith when the gospel came. And their hearts were hardened. Don't ignore the call of God. If you sense him moving in your life, then move with him. Don't ignore him. Because there may be a day that if you ignore the call long enough, the call will stop being heard. If you could see the glory of Christ right now, then act. Don't ignore it. There may be a day when you no longer see him as glorious. Number three. If, and I've let's cross that one out. When you get discouraged. Remember, you're not alone. Like this is what Elijah needed. He needed to be reminded by God, you're not alone. He felt alone. God, I am the only one. I said, no, you're not. This is why this place is so important. This is why being a part of a church is so important. This is why people knowing our name. This is why getting in a discipleship group is so important. Because we need to be reminded we're not alone. Scripture tells us that... With each day coming forward as Jesus comes back, the remnant is going to get smaller, not bigger. That there will be people who who act like they are followers of Jesus who will walk away before he comes. And it's going to feel like we're all alone. And we need to this place every week to be reminded we're not alone. We're not alone. I need at least every no more than six days away from being in a room that reminds me that God's still at work in this world. I need to be in a group every week with other people who know my name and know my story who are going to ask me hard questions that keep me on the straight and narrow, who are making sure that I'm still practicing what I say I believe, that I'm still repenting of sin and confessing and walking in holiness and sharing the gospel, that I'm actually being obedient to the things that God's called me to. Because I'm going to get discouraged too and feel like I'm all alone. And we'll want what Elijah wanted, which was a ticket out. We don't get a ticket out yet because there's still work. to do. So when you get discouraged, remember you're not alone. You need this place and this place needs you. You need a discipleship group and a discipleship group needs you. Because we're all going to get discouraged. and We need to be reminded we're not alone. I don't know which one of these you need to act on right now. I guarantee one of them is true for you today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. Grateful for your grace. Grateful that we've been chosen by grace. It's nothing that we have done. God, you have opened our eyes to the glory of Christ. God, I pray that you would continue to do so. May those around us be enlightened by the Spirit and moved to act in faith.